Welcome to Big Joe Studio. I'm Big Joe. Uh, I'm here with Zara Mechi. Zara, uh, so uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm um, a little tired, a little groggy, but we're getting there, honestly. Yeah, cool. You uh, you had work early this morning, man. That's I can't do it. Uh, <laughs> as soon as if I have work, I can't do anything else afterwards. Oh, I believe it. Like, that's why it was so hard for me to, like, get everything together and be like, okay, we're going on this podcast. We're going to talk. We're going to be a presentable face. I was like, it's super exhausted. I had to get there at 5 a.m. and I got off at 12. Jeez Louise, 5 a.m. is miserable. Mm -hmm. uh, so tell us a bit about yourself. You're a student at UNT with, uh, say with me, we're in an opinion writing class together. And that's all I know about you, man. <laughs> so um, I'm 24 years old. Um, I moved to UNT in 2019 and I transferred from a private private college in San Antonio where I ran track. Um, it was called UIW as a private Catholic school, although I'm not Catholic. I just went because they gave me a full ride. Um, came to UNT because I had to get away from the city I had grown up in and the coaches were not the best which made it a really hard environment to adjust to as they were, they were. um at UIW. At UIW, but, okay. Yeah, but when I moved to UNT, the coaches were worse. Okay, <laughs> so okay. They were less personable when I came to UNT when it came to run track. Um the coaches at UIW wanted to get to know us. They wanted to be our best friends, but also they wanted to be our coach. So it was a really hard like fine line between those two of like being your friend and being an honest, good friend, and then also being a coach and being a hard ass. Um, those two things are, if you don't know how to do either one of those, it's not going to work when it comes together. Um, so when it came to being their friend, it was like, I want to be able to talk to you, but I also don't want to get in trouble if I say certain things to you. Um, and I also want you to coach me, but I also don't want you to bully me you know so um our coaches were 24 when i went to college i was 18 with the 24 25 26 year old coaches and then the other half of the staff was older and they were like veterans in the game but my specific coach was 26 i believe like he was practically our peer um so he did want to be our friend. He reminisced when he ran track in college as well, because it wasn't that far away. And he wanted to be a better coach than all the coaches he's ever had in his entire life. And I think putting that pressure on himself made it really hard and made it really hard on us to actually adjust to becoming college athletes from high school. Um, so there was a lot of tension between us and the coaches. There were a lot of tension between us and the team, because some of us would be like, you know, F the coaches. We don't care about the coaches. Um, just run, just jump, just do your event. But then, um, you know, the other half of us had came from schools where we were really close to our coach. I was like, personally, my track coach in high school was one of my best friends. Like she was like my second mom. She just knew how to talk to us while also knew how to coach us and be a hard ass on the track. So we had that kind of respect for her the people that actually ran and the people actually took track seriously had that respect for her. So it was like, I get why you're being a hard ass, but I also get why you're checking on me when I'm injured, you know? Um, so it wasn't that great at UIW. Um, so moving to UNT was kind of like a restart, um, kind of a new introduction to track and erasing my head of high school track, erasing my head of UIW track and just starting over. But when I got to UNT, the coaches are not personable and they don't care to be your friend. They don't care about your personal business. They just want to make sure you're at practice on time and that you're running and that you're doing everything you need to do. Um, they took it more seriously as a business aspect rather than an actual like extra activity that we're doing in school. That's something that brings us joy. Um, so they were more worried about their jobs and um, job security and making sure that none of them got fired and making sure that we play so that we brought money to the school so that they don't get fired um, which was not fun because at that point it's like all the pressures on us and if we don't do well um, and conference we suck which I didn't know coming to UNT that the track team was not that great <laughs> I just kind of wanted to leave and I wanted to move mm -hmm. somewhere far away from home um, so knowing going into that team and seeing that um 
the coaches didn't really care was really hard. And then I found out that after conference, which is like the last meet of um, basically like, it's like our, it's like, if you watch basketball, if you watch March Madness, if you win your conference meet, you go into March Madness and then the final fours and all that. For track, conferences, all the schools within our conference that we all compete against. And then um, it moves us up to like regionals and then to nationals. Um, and then possibly the further meets that are out of school and like the USA trials and stuff like that. Um, when it came to conference, if we did not do well at conference, everyone but me, since I was new, knew in the back of their heads, you're going to get cut. That was that. Um, they were going to find a reason to cut you. They didn't care if you weren't doing anything wrong. They were just going to find any reason to cut you. Um, the group I had to train with, which was the pole vault group and I was the only multi. Um, the whole group was really, really good. They always placed. They always do really well. If they didn't place, they weren't going in the meet and they knew that. Um, I'm new and my coach did not like me due to racial issues. He was not the biggest fan of me. I was the only black person in the entire polo group. Um, I wasn't the only minority because there was a Puerto Rican kid there, but he was injured and never came to practice and never talked. Um, so I was really the only one in that entire group and he kind of picked on me a lot and I I'm coming from a tiny Catholic school in San Antonio that only has three or four buildings with all the classrooms in it and that's it and they're all in one circle like all right in the middle of the campus to a huge campus that all the buildings are spread out you have to go from here to here for your next class and there are buses driving throughout the entire area taking you from one place to another and I'm struggling to like adjust to that and I told him that and he did not care um he threw my shoes he kind of singled me out at camp on in the team um so situations like that were really hard for me to even adjust to getting comfortable with the team and then getting comfortable with a coach. So when it came down to going to meets, he didn't take me to any meets. And then he told me I was failing all my classes, so I can't go. Um, so by the time season was over or approaching the end of season, he was looking for any reason to cut me. I wasn't failing my classes. Um, I think I had failed like two tests and he took that as I'm failing my classes. And my advisors were just kind of like, we'll, we'll do check-ins, we'll see how your grades are looking. And I would do my check-ins and I would go to tutoring and I do everything. Uh, but he was looking for a reason to cut me. And I just remember being like, no, you're not going to do that to me. So then I quit on my own. And that was around March, 2020. And I had decided I quit right before spring break. Um, and right before spring break, it's like spring break and then outdoor season since track has two seasons. I went home for spring break. I came back and during spring break, there were rumors of COVID and like it approaching and it becoming a thing. But by the time I came back to Denton, the whole world shut down. I like was stuck in Denton. I couldn't go back home because my mom was like, no, you know, you like you're out there now. You can't come back unless you might bring something in. Um, so I had really only spent one semester at UNT until we came back to campus in like the end of 2021. Uh <laughs> And that's when I was like, oh, this is the whole campus. I had never been to certain buildings. Um, and I had came into UNT as a computer science major. Um, I had been doing computer science all of college. Uh, but when COVID hit and I had to, you know, do code during lockdown and try to do all those tests during lockdown, I realized that I don't like computer science. I'm just mm -hmm. doing it for my parents. Um I can do it. I was passing my classes. I was getting the grades I needed to do. I was understanding the subject, but it was just the fact that I didn't want to sit behind a computer and code mindlessly every single day for the rest of my life and then just do it because I'm getting a six-fig check and not be satisfied, only have my parents be satisfied and then have to seek out satisfaction in any other kind of way. Um, I wanted to enjoy my career and add to it at post graduation so I had always been into journalism I had always been a news junkie an opinion piece like junkie I had always read everything that was given to me um, when I was in high school I was in our student media program and 
I was in broadcast journalism and I had gone from yearbook to broadcast journalism and I loved broadcast journalism. It was just the freedom to express myself. Um, I had a really great teacher that basically let me make whatever I want or do whatever I want. So I would make sketches and she'd put them at like the end of the show and I would be like, kind of like that commercial break. And then sometimes I'd have to do serious packages and she'd fit them in, but she was always like, have fun with it. So even my serious packages, they gave you the information, but they also had my humor added with it. Uh, so I really, really loved that. And I really, really like valued her allowing me to be informative, but also be fun at the same time. So going into college, um, I try to work at the radio station at UIW just to like kind of get that same feeling of creativity through media. Um, so going to UNT was like, I had dropped and left all of that. And I pushed through track and computer science and then dropped both of those. And I was like, okay, so what do I want to do? And I remember it's journalism. I've only ever wanted to do journalism. I've only ever loved it. I made that switch. It was a big decision, but I made that switch and I have not looked back and I have probably had the most fun I've had in the past few years since making that decision. Everything prior to that was just a lot of self-discovery. So today approaching graduation, the only thing I'm like nervous for is getting a job. Like I'm not, I don't feel like I made a mistake in this field. I don't feel like I'm, I've lost myself. I feel like I'm going in the right direction I just need to get that direction to go into a job and that's about it yeah <laughs> do you have any student uh well speaking of getting an education do you have any student loan debt uh I do uh so running track at UIW kind of secured me of that for a while um but then moving to UNT I got a partial scholarship which mm -hmm. means that I only had I only had like half of it covered and UNT isn't that expensive so it wasn't like stressful but once I left the track team fully um that's where everything started accumulating and although it's not as big as others are but it's still there and knowing that it's still there was kind of like okay I want to get a job so I can start taking care of it um and if Biden you know does what he thought he was gonna do maybe I will have less to pay it's the only reason I voted for that son of a bitch. <laughs> exactly. And now we're here and we're all like, I still have debt. <laughs> well, I guess, I mean, that being said, I would have voted anyways because the only other person to vote for was Donald fucking Trump. So I guess you don't got a choice. You know, you're either a good person or you vote for uh, 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 Donald Trump. Exactly. exactly. This is not, this is obviously an anti Fox News podcast. <laughs> uh, what uh what do I have here? Oh, uh, speaking of um, uh, media and uh, news writing, you you said you're you're you said you're a broadcast journalist major. Uh, what um what what is it? What are some of the uh, <laughs> writing or broadcast journalism? Uh, what uh, why broadcast journalism? Is it just more hands on for you? Yeah. And the fact that I'm a visual learner, I like, uh, I like seeing things. I like seeing what I'm putting out there. Um, writing is easy and hard when it comes to me. I have a voice and I know I can use it. Um, usually before I write any like story, I like record myself actually just putting down my points and elaborating on them because I can talk faster than I can. Well, I can think faster than I can talk, but I can get like, just kind of spit it all out there and put it all out there and organize it on paper. Um, but for video, it's more like I can manipulate it the way I want to. Um, writing is hard because you have a structure, you have a very strict structure of how, it, what order should go in, the verbiage that you need to use. When it comes to video, it's like, whatever they say is getting put in, but whatever you want to show is under your control. So whatever the facts that they say, I can't change their words, but I can put it in a place that it makes sense to what I'm trying to show and what I'm trying to convey based on my idea. Um, and it could be a non-biased idea because I know I don't want to do local news. I don't want to do hard news at all. I could care less to report on crime. Um, I'd rather make like documentaries and show people's history within their, whatever they're doing. Um, 
So in that case, it's like, I want to take certain parts of people's lives and actually put it in front of other people and show it to them. And people don't read nowadays. Like people literally do not read at all. And that's so understandable because it is time consuming. And I have like three, four, five books stacked up that I'm like, I'll start it or I've started it and have not finished it. And I used to read all the time. But when it comes to video, people actually want to sit down and see what we're talking about. They want to see their favorite artists talking about um, their past and they want to see pictures of them back in the day while they're telling their stories from back in the day. They want to actually see it so that it feels like they're there or they're interacting with them. That's why podcasts are so like popular, in my opinion, is feels like you're in the room with the person and you're just sharing a story with them or they're sharing a story with you and you're sitting there and listening it's it's very it's much more personal to me than it is than writing and just reading uh, yeah I, I completely agree that you know what uh, to get a little morbid with things I wanted to start a podcast uh because um often you know I'm gonna die one day and then we, you, you're all you, all you have is pictures, you know. Yeah. You don't have, uh, you lose the voice. And I think, uh, I mean, maybe I'm just self obsessed, but I think I have a pretty interesting voice. And I think, I think my mom would miss it. You know, I think it's more, it's mainly for her to go back and listen to, right? Yeah. Uh, but um, chat. You, you obviously, you're, you're a human being in 2023. You've heard about Chat GPT. Yes. Uh, what is opinions uh what is, have you uh encountered or uh you know had a uh, professor scrutinize your work think you used chat gpt before no that is very wild but i understand because when your work is too perfect it's almost like you didn't write this and i feel like those person like that perfect perfect work really goes better in with opinion writers that are obviously at new the new york times and the new yorker and those big publications because they have to have that perfect language but they still know how to manipulate it with their um with their opinion where it still sounds like it's coming from a human being rather than just spitting facts at you over and over again and our professor does a really good job of telling us that like use your voice don't just preach to them convince them um but when it comes to jap chat gpt I, I'm so interested in it because it is a, it is a program that could possibly steal jobs from all of us. Like it's so scary to think about these days, especially as a journalist and especially someone that is willing to go into print. I don't have to write. I really don't have to do anything. I could just go into a chat GPT and put in everything I need to put in all the facts and the research that I put in and it will put everything out there for me um but I had a very interesting interaction with um a man about two weeks ago maybe a week ago um and he I was at this uh panel it was a bunch of people they were talking about investing in something I have no clue I was just working it um, but the people in the room were super important like the art director of D magazine was there and that's who, right so that's who I asked like I asked him where do you find um how do you gain that credibility because they were telling their stories of how they got to where they were and I remember asking how do you gain that credibility um from people that are higher up than you. Like if you're new into the game, you're a fresh graduate like me and you've only written stories for your professors and maybe like NT Daily and maybe your internship that they had to publish because it's a part of the program. How do you gain that credibility that's like, I'm actually good at this. I can actually do the work if you want me to. Like if you hire me, I will put in the work and I will put out quality. Um, and they gave me all sorts of advice. They gave me great advice and advice that I've already heard of, you know, like just keep bothering them, keep emailing them, keep sending out pitches, keep doing it until they remember your name. Because if they constantly come across your name and keep ignoring it, one day they're just going to be like, okay, let's read it. We're going to look at your pitch. Fine. Like, leave me alone. But um, one gentleman pulled me outside. He was like an older fellow, And he was just like, hey, all that advice they gave you in there, that was old. That was old school uh advice and I was like you are old school what are you talking about (laughs) but he was like no that was all old school advice look I'm in journalism I just fired five writers and two editors 
Why? Because AI is a thing. Why would I have five writers and two editors on staff when I can have one person that could do the job of all of them through AI? If he's really, really perfect at AI, if that person is really, really perfect at AI, knows how to use it, knows how to pump out stories like that, and can do all the research of five people and just put it into jet, uh, chat GPT and get like six, seven, eight stories out of it, why would I have all those people on staff? I'm just wasting money at that point. And so he was like giving me that advice, like times are changing and you need to change with it. I'm not saying give up on journalism. I'm saying adapt with journalism. Mm -hmm. You can't just depend on yourself anymore because there's so many resources out there. And I remember hearing that and it kind of, it calmed my nerves, but also made me more nervous because it was like, now I have to learn a whole new game before I graduate. Like I literally have to perfect something and they don't have a class on how to use AI in journalism. Um, So when it came down to it, I was like, let let me go talk to one of my friends. And when I went inside and told them, hey, this old guy just told me this, he was sitting in the back. They turned to me and they were like, Zara, that's the founder and CEO of Crown Magazine. And I was like, (laughs) I was like, wait a minute. Why didn't y'all tell me I was in the same room as the founder of one of the biggest black publications in the nation? And they were like, well, we thought you knew. And I was like, no, But hearing that advice from a a man that has started from the bottom, literally with journalism and grown into something bigger and is adapting within, has no choice but to adapt with it. It was kind of that like wake up call that's like, yeah, I have to get on chat GPT. I have to actually perfect it. And if a professor gives me shit about it, I'm gonna say, what do you think everyone else is doing right now? I can't just run away from that. And yes, it kind of lacks that creativity within it because it's not your own voice and it's not your own opinion. But who says it's not your own opinion if you're putting in your own research and your own thoughts and your own tone and mood into the system and just getting them to write out what you are thinking, basically, you know, like you still have control of what they're writing. It's not like you're just putting in the topic and then saying, write me anything and then we'll just put it out. It's like you're putting in the topic, you're putting in your thoughts, you're putting in your research, you're putting in the direction that you want the story to go in and then you get the story it's just everything you put in organized at that point um so if a teacher gives me shit I would just be like for what like (laughs) I just because I didn't spend two hours typing all of this out does not mean that I did not sit down and do the exact same research and you know convey myself the exact same way and edit the paper that they gave me to the way I wanted it to sound and then give it to you. I did the exact same work. It's just, I didn't type out every single character on this paper. Um, So yeah, that's how I feel about it, at least. It's just, I hate it, but I love it at this. I hate it, but it's giving us a new opportunity to try something new. Actually, you know, while while you're talking, I was uh, was typing into, I actually pulled up chat GPT, see just uh, how, uh, what, what, what it could do. Um, so I took, I put in here, I typed in, uh, on the bottom, it's just a send a message to chat GPT and it'll, uh, fart out, uh, uh, it's, it's currently going, it's <laughs> won't stop. There it is. Uh, and here's the article it, it wrote for me, uh, it very quickly. So I think I'm already done with my schoolwork, uh, <laughs> chat. Uh, I'm so sorry. My cat is very upset and, uh, she wants to be on the podcast. Uh, chat GPT AI language model could revolutionize writing and research in schools. As students and educators continue to navigate the challenges of remote learning in digital classrooms, new technologies are emerging that have potential to transform the way we approach teaching and learning. One such, te- one such technology is Chat GPT, an advanced AI language model that could revolutionize the way students approach writing and research assignments. Uh, Chat GPT is a natural language processing model that has been trained on a massive data set. I'm so sorry, I'm wrestling with my cat. Uh, that is trained on a massive data set of human-generated text. This enables it to generate high-quality text in response to a wide range of prompts, including essay questions, research topics, and creative writing prompts. And then it goes on for one, two, three, four more paragraphs. Uh, here's, the, uh, here's the last paragraph. Overall, the use of AI language models like ChatGPT has the potential to revolutionize the way students approach writing and research assignments in schools. 
by providing students with powerful tools for generating ideas, refining their writing skills, and exploring avenues of thought. ChatGPT could help unlock of the full potential of student creativity and innovation. That is scary. That That's frightening how quickly that uh, put that up. Like that was all the facts that you need. That was all the information that you needed. And everything was right. Everything was correct. Everything they said was true. And it makes me think like, is there going to be a point in time where universities are going to start saying that using chat GPT is considered plagiarism because it's not yours? Um, which... It's kind of like it's not plagiarism though. Nothing they that they wrote was not new information. It wasn't new. Um, it wasn't an essay off the internet. They reorder everything. They rewrite everything. Everything is fresh and new. That's why it's like it's not plagiarism. It's just not written exactly by me. Is it plagiarism that something else wrote it and that you're taking it from that? Yes. I can understand that, but they don't have the systems to kind of track down, oh, this is from Chad GPT. So how can you really tell, you know? Exactly. If you turn it in.com scours the internet, is it now going to scour Chad GPT and everything yeah. it's ever written? Exactly. Uh, actually, uh, I I did another article. It's uh, this is the impact of social media on mental health and comprehensive analysis, a comprehensive analysis. I didn't say anything about mental health or social media. All I typed in was an introduction to a thesis article. And wow. it, it gave me um, the, the impacts of social media on mental health. I'm not going to read it because it's a, it looks like a scholarly article and I don't want to uh, bore the readers, uh, the listeners at home. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's, I have an idea. I had an idea. I have an internship at North Texas Daily, and um, they said no Chat GPT. What's no AI whatsoever? It's played. It's flat out plagiarism. That's what they said. Um, I have an idea to write to. Uh, wow, I have an idea to write an article about uh, Chat GPT using Chat GPT, but in the third, the third graph, the third paragraph, it's going to say. Uh, but you thought I did that yeah that's so good that's where you bring in your humor that's where I would say like articles like that you need to be writing and then it's I feel like it's just okay to take parts of chat GPT maybe not the whole thing but obviously the parts that are you're kind of struggling and using it as a helpful resource rather than just your all relying resource that's where I'd be like no funnel it in it would help out a lot of writers to convey themselves correctly so that we're not getting caught with plagiarism so that we're not getting fired from our jobs in the future um just looking for things you know having to hyperlink everything in our article because everyone's already written on something everything is out within an hour of uh an event happening so how are we supposed to be the first for everything you know well, that, that brings up a very interesting uh, uh, question that it, what if chat G, what, what what happens when AI comes up with every last combination of words? Mm-hmm. It's going it's going to happen. It's yeah. going, uh, where <laughs> turnitin.com is going to be completely defunct because of the oh, it those that's that exact thing has been said already. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, uh I, I've never, I really, I really want to do that for uh, North Texas Daily is, uh, or maybe I'll do it on a blog post, but uh, you're an, are you, you, we've talked before about art. You're an artist or do you do art? Any? Um, I'm a creative director with a photographer. So the most I can get into is photography. Photography is still a form of art. You're capturing art. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would you get any passion projects right now? Right now I'm making a documentary on a DJ in Dallas. That's very interesting. Do you want to get into that or is it all is a top secret? No, I'm totally fine. Um, so I've interviewed her. She is a female DJ in Dallas, uh, which is not rare, but it's also like it's rare to see how popular they are. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a few out there. She is just one of the bigger ones that I that always catches my attention because she doesn't just hyper focus on one sound. She's not just strictly house music. She's not just strictly party music. She is everything. This girl has mastered Afro beats, which is so shocking to see from a little white girl that is from Seattle. And 
she is going really, really hard on it. She has DJ shows that I wish I could go to. She has DJ parties in California, Austin, um, Vegas, and she just lives in Dallas and DJs in Dallas with her residency. Um, so being able to share her story is really exciting. It's uh, kind of a profile on her, but I've been going to a lot of her shows and just getting B-roll there and interviewing her before she goes to a set and, you know, after her set and just having her share her entire story from beginning to end. That sounds very exciting. Is this, this is a, this is a personal project to launch your career or is it you doing it for school? Yeah, this is a personal project. I did it for, I did part of it for a class. I just interviewed her, put out some B-roll on it. But then I realized I wanted to make it into a full thing, like a full documentary, because she is someone that I genuinely like. And she has opened the doors and with a lot of connections for me of meeting other DJs and other musical artists in the city um, due to the fact that I want to be a music journalist one day. So being able to see musicians in Dallas is like, okay, I get a foundation in the city that I live in right now and it can boost me further. So I'm kind of trying to make it my forefront for my portfolio. Now I'm going to do some editing, some moves, some magic, some uh, podcasting magic. I'm going to, what, what, what are you listening to right now? Well, Tyler, the creator, just dropped this deluxe version of Call Me If You Get Lost. So I've been listening to a little bit of that. Well, a little bit. I've been listening to that every day. He's my favorite artist of all time. Um, and then uh, I've been going down to Stevie Wonder's uh, mm-hmm. hole. Ditto, ditto. One, yeah, absolutely yes. same. <laughs> I don't know what it was, but I remember listening to one song and I was like, huh, I need to listen to his entire discography because I know I know a lot of songs, but I also don't know a lot of other songs that he has. So it's been like constant him just on repay. And he's like my go-to, like, I need to get somewhere quick. Let me just put on Steven Wonder and then see what happens. But mm-hmm. it's just really refreshing, especially now that the sun's back out. <laughs> yes, hey, Stevie Wonder. Yeah, absolutely. Stevie Wonder is 100% better in the sunlight. Mm-hmm. I uh, I completely agree with that. Uh, right now I'm listening to, uh, or I was, before we got on the cast, I was listening to, uh, Otis Redding. Uh, like I was, uh, he did a bunch of covers, uh, of, um, who's that guy, that fellow that sang, not lean on me, stand by me. Wow. Uh, dang, what is his name? Let me see. Let me search him up really quick. Stand by me. Benny King? Yes, yes, Benny King. That's, uh, that's who it is. Uh, he, Otis Redding does a version of, uh, of Stand By Me. I just said I just said it. I completely forgot. Uh, fantastic. Tracy Chapman also does uh, a version of uh, Stand By Me. And yes. You, she... Stand By Me is a great song. Tracy Chapman, oh my, where'd you go? Come back. Where did you go? <laughs> uh, and that is an artist that like my friends don't know. And when I show them, like, I swear to God, y'all know Fast Car. Like I at least play Fast Car yes. for them. And they're like, I don't remember it, but only like the millennials today, like the people that are like way, not way older than us, but the people that are already in their thirties and comfortable in their thirties, they know Fast Car. Cause that was a like a Bob. It came back in the early two thousands. They enjoy it. It was like the prime um coming of age song it was beautiful mm-hmm. fast car is uh, yeah i love fast car so much um we are actually about to run out of time on this free zoom uh i uh a part of the gimmick of this podcast is that it's all for free i'm using absolutely everything free that i could find so we're I using the free version of zoom which is going to take us to our ad break we don't yeah. have any sponsors <laughs> <laughs> lovely so uh do you want to keep talking yeah definitely right on we uh, i'm going to hang up the zoom and you're just going to hop on the exact same zoom okay cool Um, do you play any instruments? No, but I used to play the cello growing up, and then I learned the piano for about a year, and then just never returned to it. I'm sorry, the cello. Uh, what, what, what kind of instrument is that? 
Um, so it's the really big violin, but it's not the Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, I'm an idiot. That's like a that's like a, that's a bass, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, okay. you're fine. It's bigger it's smaller than a bass, but it's uh bigger than a violin. So it's like it's the size it's as big as a bass, but a bass is way huger, but it's still like a body size. That's insane. That, that's yeah. I I've never played an instrument and uh, I I play I know a few, I know a few strings on a guitar, not very much. Mm -hmm. uh, but you said that you played that in high school. I played the cello in um, elementary school and a little bit of middle school. But elementary school, wow. Yeah, our my elementary school had this strings program. They literally they called it strings, where our middle school um, orchestra teacher would come to our fifth to basically our elementary school and kind of introduce it to. I want to say the fifth graders, but I feel like it was younger than that. I think we were way younger than that. I think we were in like third or fourth grade and then they introduced us to strings and that's when we all started playing it. Um, it was like an after school program. We just had to go to the gym in our elementary school, play it. We had like one performance at the middle school that we were supposed to be going to, to our parents. Um, and it was like an introduction just to like playing an instrument. You have to start them early before they can get into like middle school and stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I played it up until like middle school and then I was like, I'm done, I'm over it. Over oh, it, right. doesn't matter anymore, cut it out. She said, I'll play sports, it's cool. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you do you, so you don't run track anymore, right? No, I do not. Do you, do you still work out? Yes, I actually took a year about a year or two off from working out after I quit. Um, I just recently started working out every single, not every single day, five days a week uh, in January this year. Uh, but last year it was like off and on. I would just work out whenever I felt like I needed to. Um, but prior to that, it was like, I'm not working out at all. I don't want to see a gym. I don't want to run. I don't, I barely even want to jog. I don't want to speed walk. Like I just want to give my whole body a break. Um, and I just started to notice that my body started changing, not necessarily mm. with the weight, but even with like the temperature of my body, I started getting colder way faster. Um, my appetite was gone because I'm not working. I'm not extremely working out. So I'm not as hungry because I'm not as active. Um, and I, I found myself a little more stressed out than usual. Um, I felt like I didn't have a routine in my life anymore because I had had such a structured routine where it was like 6.30 practice and then classes and then weight room sometime in the afternoon and then um, homework and then dinner and then back home to chill until you have to go to sleep and then wake up the next day and do that all over again. And I really liked having structure and a routine in my life. So not having that and just waking up every day and being like, okay, I'll go to my classes, but what else do I have? It was kind of like, oh, I need something in between. I started filling it up with hanging out with my friends, but then my friends moved to Dallas because they graduated. And then it was like, okay, I had to drive all the way to Dallas. But then that got stressful with also having to do homework and classes and then drive to Dallas to see my friends and then drive back to go to sleep. It was just a lot where I was like, okay, let me balance everything out. Um, let me go to classes um, at the time I wasn't working when I was running track either because my mom and my dad would not want me to work they thought mm -hmm. it would just be too much with my schedule so now that I don't have that it was like work class gym and then play so I found my structure again I'm like forcing myself to get up early and go to my classes or go to the gym in the morning and then go to my classes and then go to work and then see my friends and it just keeps everything in order for my brain so that I don't feel sporadic for the rest of my life <laughs> so yeah that's real good um i recently or i'm on uh i'm uh i, I i'm i'm to, i'm doing this to a uh account to hold myself accountable i'm on a weight loss journey mm -hmm. i uh, i'm the heaviest i've ever been i'm about 340 pounds and i need to roll it back yeah <laughs> quickly and in a hurry so uh i guess you i mean look at you so skinny you got any, you got any, any advice? Um, don't think it's going to happen overnight and don't force yourself to overdo it. Um, losing weight and shedding weight comes with time, patience, and consistency. 
So mm-hmm. it's not like you can go to the gym and you're going to lose all of that weight in two months because you're lifting heavier or because you're running longer. Um, yes, running cardio is the number one thing that you should be doing to shed weight. It'll shed your weight like that, but to tone it, to mold it, to make sure it's tight and pretty the way that you want it. You also have to incorporate lifting um, and just knowing how to lift and what to lift and not just tossing plates, like actually taking your time to get that form is super important Um, because you don't want to just lift and hurt yourself or lift and not get anything out of it or not target the muscles that you want to target because at that point you're just wasting energy and you're not getting anything out of it. Um, And I had to learn that the hard way coming from being a student athlete and having my coaches and my trainers basically tell me perfect all of that for me. They perfected my form. They um, raised up my weight when it needed to be raised. I didn't have to ask. It was just done for me. Uh, Going into the weight room by myself was kind of like, okay, I'm just going to do one of my old track workouts. And then also realizing I can't lift the same anymore. So I have to like, you know, tone down the weight and then also remembering, oh, I don't remember the form. Let me try to perfect the form. And now I'm just now getting into, okay, I feel comfortable lifting. I'm not lifting as heavy, but I'm getting something out of it. And don't feel pressured to be in the gym for an hour and a half or an hour or two or whatever, like 30, 45 minute workouts, do the exact same thing as an hour long workout. Like, yeah, don't force yourself to do more than you need to just do something. That's really it. Right on, man. Uh, like I, it's a, it's a, it's a journey, of mm-hmm. course. Uh, believe it or not, I did play uh, football back in high school. Lovely. Uh, back, back in the glory days of high school, <laughs> right? Uh, I used to, I used to, uh, or I was on a, uh, a. I've, I've always been a bigger guy, and I was on a, uh, a weight loss kick back in my senior year of high school, and mm-hmm. uh, I. That's where I perfected, you know, my. Uh, uh, form but not really but I just need to I, I guess I just need to get back into it I, I'm a little rusty you know mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure if I go for that 45 pound bar it'll kill me yeah I completely understand I am still terrified to do a lot of workouts <laughs> I like look at it and I'm like if I do it it's gonna be the babiest weight or it's just gonna be the bar I still refuse to bench press because even while I was running track, I couldn't bench press for the life of me. And I had finally got to a place where I was like, oh, I can bench press. I'm good. And then we never touched bench press ever again. And till this day, I don't bench. I just don't do it. I can barely bench 80 pounds. I'm good on it. Y'all got that. I don't need my you're not like expecting to throw any right hooks. To your yeah, I don't care. <laughs> uh, do, uh, besides, you know, cardio and lifting, uh, do you Uh, dabble in boxing or anything like that no but um a group of us since I am Nigerian um so the Nigerian community that went out here in UNT and also knew other Nigerians in different colleges um they were a part of ASO and now that they all live in Dallas a group of them play volleyball on Fridays um and it started last summer and we went to sandbar which is like outdoor volleyball with a bar um And we just play sand volleyball every Friday night. And then it got really, really huge. But then once it got cold, everyone stopped coming and we went to indoor volleyball (laughs) and the people that actually wanted to play volleyball show up and it's been fun. And it's been like a weekly activity that I get to like have fun at. Um, But other than that, boxing is cool, but boxing also requires aggression. And I don't Mm -hmm. have that kind of aggression. (laughs) I don't have that fire in me where I'm like, yeah, I want to hit. Like, it's really like, you have to like scream at me to be like, okay, okay, I'm going harder. Like it's a lot, it takes a lot more out of me mentally than it does physically for me to box. Well, that's exactly why I stopped playing uh, football is because they were, they would just yell at me and I would just, I would wilt like a flower. I can't do it. But uh, I, I guess yeah, you're, I, I need to find a community, you know, of other uh, fat bearded men trying to lose weight. I'm sure it's Denton. I'm sure uh-huh. I throw a stone and I find a fat guy. <laughs> um, I've been doing uh, the last, or I say, I, I, when I say I started it, I started it yesterday. Mm-hmm. I walked uh, two hours yesterday, and then I walked two hours today, and a little bit of running, very brief running. Like I said, three forty does not run fast. Yeah. <laughs> 
So um, I, I'm doing a I'm doing more of a light jog, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, you know, just the two days I've uh, I'm very my feet are killing me, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but I feel uh, I feel very motivated to uh, at least God, please at least jog forty pounds. I need to do something. You know, I can I can feel my heart about to explode. <laughs> No, that's good that you're identifying it because a lot of people will just not even notice that they're gaining that weight slowly. Um, And a lot of people avoid scales. I didn't notice that I hadn't been on a scale in so long until like I noticed the scale at my gym and I was like, oh, someone is using it. Like, that's so strange. So I stepped on it and I saw my weight and I was down to my high school weight. And I said, whoa, I should not be here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I should not be there at all. That is an extremely unhealthy way for like someone my height, my age, my size. Like I should not be this small. And it was giving, I need to eat. So <laughs> I just remembered like, okay, let me focus on like getting in three meals a day rather than going to the gym regularly. Mm-hmm. And I just ate my heart out heavy. And then I finally got to like a decent size, but it wasn't like I was super I wasn't at a healthy place I still wasn't at a healthy place I had gained like probably like two pounds and I was like okay now I can work out and add on but Mm -hmm. I definitely consume a lot of protein shakes just to like battle that out um because I have the opposite problem with you I lose weight faster than I can gain it um I can gain it and it will be gone literally the next day if I miss one meal I will shed weight like it's nothing um and I hate that because it's like I'm always gonna look like a little string bean for the rest of my life when I just want to look like a curvy woman I just want to be a woman like that has always been my thing in my head I just want to be a woman but when you're as small as me like you can't find certain things that fit you. I'm, mm-hmm. I have to get my skirts custom made because they don't fit, wow. like skirts don't fit me at all. Um, and then I, the tops I buy, I've never gone past a small unless I want it oversized. Then I get a medium because it's all, that's as oversized. Um, so yeah, little things like that is kind of like, I just want to be able to go to a store, purchase a regular small and then be like, okay, this is good or purchase a medium and be like, this is good rather than trying it on and it falls straight back down to the ground and I have to get it amended and pay extra to like get it custom made and all that. It's, it's so extra. Honestly, I, being a, being a woman, it sounds fucking miserable, man. <laughs> because like your, your clothing, it sounds uncomfortable. It, mm-hmm. The fabric is uncomfortable. It's tight and restricting. Like I, I was, I did drag before and I wore a blouse. I was a secretary as a drag queen and it was very, uh, no, I can't wear a blouse. It's the worst. Wearing a a blouse is miserable. Yes. Uh, As a woman, it's like, if you, you, if you notice in class, I wear sweats almost every day. Those rare days that I'm dressed up, my clothes are still very baggy because I'm just so tired of wearing tight clothes. I can't. I can't. And if I wear, like, if I dress up on the weekends, I will make sure I have one week of just t-shirts and sweatpants every day. Every day. Mm-hmm. My, fiance, my fiance is the exact same way. Long skirts, sweatpants, that, that's all she wears. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're very comfortable in this household. Uh, kind of like a uh, restricted uh restricted clothing mm-hmm. <sighs> there's that awkward silence don't know what else uh, that's the hey the, you're fine everyone, I, everyone has it in their podcast they just edit it out i promise you that <laughs> uh let's see so i've been noticing a lot or maybe it's just the social media i scroll through but i've been noticing a lot of uh managers uh, and bosses complaining about no, you know nobody wants to work anymore and they're citing a stimulus check that came in 2020 mm-hmm. uh as as a reason nobody wants to work uh now i don't know about you but i spent that money <laughs> it's long gone i didn't even get it <laughs> i oh, didn't you were a college student right Yes, but also my dad, yeah, my dad claimed me in his taxes. So I had no choice but to not get it. It went straight to my dad and he got a bonus on his stimulus check, but he didn't forward it to me. He kept it. So I never saw the stimulus. 
Um, never experienced that money. Yeah, didn't even get the PPP loan like everyone else scamming. <laughs> I hey, I if I knew that yeah, I could get a million dollars and it gets paid off, and the government just says, "Hey, COVID doesn't matter." <laughs> I guess I would be living in a. I would have a, a professional podcasting setup right now. Exactly. I think about the things I would have done with that money, and I'm like, man, I would be very comfortable right now. I would be so happy right now. Uh, but uh, donating plasma. Have you ever donated plasma before? Yes. When I was in San Antonio, um, my friend, who was also my teammate, she introduced me to it. And she was like, I do that. Like, as soon as I turned 18, I started doing it. And I was like, really? Um, and I remember the first time we went, it was me and my other teammate. And she she passed out in the chair and I was sitting there across from her, just like on my phone vibing. And then I look up and I just see her like looking down at her arm and then her eyes roll back to the back of her head and she just slid down the chair. And I was like, um, <laughs> I looked around, I was like, can somebody get help? And they all just kind of looked at me and I was like, she passed out and they were like, oh, what? And then ran over to her and like took it out. And I was like, yeah, I don't know how I feel about this, but I kept going. I got money. Yeah, you got that dough. You got exactly. that dough. Mm-hmm. Um, I I give blood, I give plasma quite regularly. I've got this gnarly uh scar because of it. Um, I went to go get blood work done, and they use the the tiny twenty one gauge needle, but Ooh. when you give plasma, they use a sixteen gauge needle. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they po- they poked it in, and it wasn't drawing blood with the twenty one gauge needle. Uh, and they, they just kept on poking me, poking me, and poking Ugh. me. Uh, and so uh, I say, and from that, anytime like, I give blood, I'm always like, I'm never giving blood again. Yeah. But then, like, I then I, I run out of money, and I need more blood, and I need more money. So I uh, understand. It's it's an it's 45 minutes of work. So who am I to to spit in the face of money, of exactly. free cash? Plasma to me is like one of those like. Uh, am I doing a good thing or am I just trying to get money? But then I look and I'm like, eh, they're using it for something. So it's whatever. I remember I used to be so anti like donating anything because it was like, I don't know what they're using it for. Mm-hmm. Um, I also was, went through a huge phase of just not trusting the government whatsoever. And I was like, y'all are not going to know anything about me. Y'all aren't going to have my passwords. Y'all aren't going to have my bank info. Y'all aren't going to have my face scan, nothing. But you get to a point where it's like, I have a social security number. If they really wanted to know what they wanted to know, they would know it by now. Like it's whatever. So that's when I started donating plasma. And I remember I was getting like $75 from it. And there were other places like giving out a hundred and I didn't know that. So I had to keep going to the $75 place, but it was like, we were allowed to go twice a week. So I was rocking in the money I needed. Bio mm-hmm. life is where I go to. Is that where, uh, does that sound familiar? Um, no, I think mine was like optic something. Uh, it's probably octoplasma, octoplasma. Octoplasma, yes. Uh, BioLife is where it's at, man. They're, right now I'm getting about $130 uh, a week. Really? So, um, well, they just reduced it to $125 a week. Every, so they're, they're slowly taking it down so they can yeah. give you $2 for uh, donating blood. Ridiculous. I, um. Like I said, I, I have a, I have a, well, well, that's not true. I've, I've, I have three tattoos and I, uh, and I sat through them the entire time, but mm-hmm. anytime they stick me with a needle, I'm just, I, I'm pinching myself trying to not think about it. <laughs> I, I, like I said, I got a very low pain tolerance. Oh, it is a moment. I, when it comes to needles, I have a pretty high pain tolerance. I don't know where it comes from, but I just know like needles, it's just a sharp pain for five seconds. And then I'm like, okay, I'm back to normal. Mm-hmm. But that's exactly yeah, that's all it is. Yeah. But I know for my veins, I apparently have very small veins. <laughs> so when it comes to like them having to draw blood for like lab work or anything, I get stuck multiple times over and over and over again, because they can't find my veins. Like they're pressing on my arms and they'll like start on this arm, press, press, press. And then like just stick and they'll be like, I can't find it. And then they'll move over to that arm, this arm, and they'll do the same thing until they finally find it. And they're like, 
your veins are tiny. And I'm like, are they? Or are y'all just are you, not looking? Are, are you dumb? Yeah, yeah, I don't think you know what you're doing. <laughs> Can you not visualize it, asshole? Yeah. <laughs> uh, my left arm, uh, anytime I give blood, they they always, they say it's uh, it's curved or something. It's like, a, it, it does this weird, like, uh, up and down motion. And uh, they're like, yeah, th- this one sucks. Don't, don't be mean don't to it. Don't tell me my veins suck. Y'all suck. Like exactly. y'all should know by now. <laughs> you, should know you should know what you're talking about by now. <laughs> uh, but you, you're graduating this semester, obviously. You got uh, you got any plans? What do you wait? You got to you have to have an internship to graduate from UNT. What's your internship? I don't have one right now. I <laughs> interned at DMAG last semester, oh. um, but the school would not take it since it was not my last semester. Yeah. So right now I don't have an internship and I have to have one in the summer to completely be done with my degree plan. So I get to walk in the stage on May, um, but I have to have an internship in the summer to complete my entire degree plan. Um so that's a little stressful because I haven't gotten I anything. Lose my fucking mind. I'm losing my mind right now. I've been applying places every single day, and I have gotten absolutely nothing. Um, and it's just getting to a point where I'm like, you know, journalists are getting laid off every single day. Departments are getting fired and shut down every single day because they don't have the money and the budget cuts are happening all the time that when it comes to interns, they're going to be super, super, super picky by who they pick because, um, because the budget cuts, they don't want to just pay any student. They want to make sure that they're picking the right student. Um, so right now, yeah, I'm a little nervous, but I don't know where to apply. I've been applying to random places and I just, I either haven't heard back or I'm getting rejected and, I don't know where else to apply. And Dallas doesn't have that many options. I started to notice that. I got a phone call the other day. Or <laughs> I was, uh, I, I, my, I my practicum, my internship, my practicum is with North Texas Daily. Mm-hmm. And um, I I don't think I want to pass the practicum. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, uh, I was looking for another internship. And I got one, uh, or I got an offer from a born to be free. Uh, have you heard of that place? No, never. It's a, uh, I don't know if you're a religious person. It's a it's a Christian organization, mm-hmm. and they um, uh, it's a TV station, or it's going to be a TV station, and they right now they're getting their programming ready, uh, but uh, yeah, it's on it's on the go interviews. Born to be free. Look it up. You could uh, you like I said, I don't know. Are you a relig- are you a religious person? Um, I'm a spiritual person. I wouldn't necessarily say religious just because I grew up in a religious household. Um, my mom was a pastor. Um, she raised us as Pentecostal, but not as strict. Um, and also being Nigerian, they use the Bible as a parenting book, which kind of threw me off as I was growing up and actually learning the word and the meanings behind the word rather than what my mom made me believe you know using respect your elders against me was like oh but um now I'm kind of just the person that has a personal connection with God rather than having to go to churches um I don't trust a lot of pastors because cash cow churches are a thing like those you know super mega churches are a legit thing where they're just stealing money from you and I don't trust pastors too many of them get called out for robbing us um especially vulnerable people that are in like a very dark place that need that help um so I try to just have a personal connection with the Lord without having to go to a natural church and have to talk to a pastor to get through to God rather than just talk to God on my own so yeah I like that I like that uh and I I completely agree you know the last time i went to church was uh my dad he goes to a mega church uh mm-hmm. it's called life church uh mm-hmm. and life church what blows my mind is that the pastor isn't even there <laughs> it's on a fucking video screen uh yeah. where they're just sitting in the audience watching a youtube video for an hour <laughs> at that point it's like just go home just watch it at home <laughs> that's what what i'm saying that's exactly that's yeah that's exactly it because then that that meeting or the the uh what is it called the meeting i went to it's it's called a meeting 
mm-hmm. uh, they said uh, the big man on the TV said you need to we need at least two million dollars to build this new facility. Can you find it in your heart to give us two million dollars? And I was, I was sitting there thinking, I bet I could build it in one one million dollars. That man is lying. Yeah, he's just forcing at that point. And they really just be throwing out numbers. They they're just gonna throw out numbers. Cause I remember I went to a church here in Denton. I think it was like a little bit outside of Denton, but it wasn't too far from Denton for me to say it was Denton. Um, and it was like the first church I had tried out here. And I remember going to a few services, but one thing that always was like noticeable to me was the fact that the pastor was always like condemning us for spending our money on things anything he was always constantly like why are you buying new shoes but not donating to the church why are you um spending money on movie tickets but not donating to the church and I remember hearing that and being like no what the fuck like you're not gonna sit here and guilt trip me for enjoying my life because I didn't donate to the church. Like, I'm sorry I did. I couldn't give more than a dollar to the church. Where's that money going to? Because this is still a very small church, so I'm very confused. And I just remember hearing that, and I was like, I'm not going to this church if your entire sermon is going to be about donating to the church, because you're not teaching me anything. I'm not learning anything that's in the Bible. I'm just learning what's coming out of your mouth, and what's coming out of your mouth is that you want to rob me. That's crazy. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I could, uh, I'm right there with you. Uh, the when I, the, my turning point from the church was uh, my uh, a pastor of mine, uh, brother Tony. Um, I, I say he was a very good, he was a very good family friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was, he had muscular dystrophy, right? So he was in a wheelchair, or, or a partially. I I believe he was partially paralyzed. He or no, he was fully paralyzed. Still could use crutches to walk. Anyways, he was in a wheelchair most of the time. Uh, they took his house. They the church it was a church house. They took his house from him, so they could turn it into a youth center, and then gave him a house and a trailer uh, part at a trailer uh, down the street that was not fit for a man in a wheelchair. What? And, and then that that forced him that that forced him to leave because he couldn't live there. So he the, he was forced out of the church, and I was like, Ooh, I don't like this anymore. I don't like any of that. That sounds so corrupt. And it's like, where in the Bible is God telling y'all to force a man out of his house? Like, who told y'all that this was a smart idea? That is so beyond me. That's where I'm like, yeah, we really need to remove this stigma of following the word for every decision that we make. It's one of those things that it's ruining people's lives. It's, It's definitely ruining people's lives and they're not thinking for themselves anymore. I was uh, a few episodes ago. We were talking about religion, and we we're I I under I I'm a, I'm atheist, and though I'm not one, I used to be one of those staunch atheists that was atheist assholes that mm-hmm. uh, just uh, uh, call people idiots. But uh, I'm looking at it more anthropologically uh, that people, not not me, but people and cultures get things from from God, being be it real or uh, perceived, you know, people get redemption, people get forgiveness, people uh, can turn their lives around. Unfortunately, that means murderers can turn their lives around uh, mm-hmm. through God. But uh, hey, as long as you're not killing anybody again. Yeah. <laughs> Completely. Uh, but that's where I'm at with religion, not uh, just on the outside looking in. Yeah, no, I know. I actually know a few atheists and they are, it's not that they're anti-religion. A lot of them are just more so of like, I want to believe and trust in the human race. Like they just want to trust in other people because they've gone through a lot of bad experiences themselves and they've seen a lot of bad experiences themselves where it's kind of like, this is not okay. And I don't want to say it's okay. Um, And like I said, people are not thinking for themselves when they do dive deep into a religion. And I think that's just people losing faith in themselves and losing faith in society in general, where they start to rely on the Holy Spirit and they rely on anyone that could talk about the Holy Spirit. Um, And they lose reality in that sense, because at the end of the day, on my end, the way that I practice my spirituality is that I pray to God as 
a therapist, as a mentor, as someone that I can just vent to no matter what, not going to judge me, not going to say anything back, not going to judge me, not going to drag me or try to give me advice. Um, it's just an, it's an element that I can release myself to and then clear my head and then make a decision after that for what I need to do. Um, and then some people look at it as like, let me ask God. And then any sign that I get from God, I'm going to go with that. And they're not putting two and two together. They're not actually thinking about it. They're just getting that sign. And I'm being like, I'm going to do it. F it. Like it's whatever God told me. But one thing that God says in the Bible is that I will lead you the right way, but you still have to put in your own effort. You know, there are a mm -hmm. lot of scriptures out there like that. And so when I do have my atheist friends that are kind of like, I just want society to believe in themselves again I wholeheartedly understand that because it's almost like stop relying on everyone else to fix your problems you know you still have to fix your own problems you still have to like take care of yourself and have that helping hand of your spirituality to at first security and for that your mental health issues um or mental health just reasons in general so I completely understand that atheist side that atheist view um what I don't understand is that super religious people which is so baffling which to me it is so wild that I connect more with atheists than I connect more with religious people because I feel like that disconnect with reality is just so strong with religious people that they don't realize or they don't see it. and that's why things like Scientology and being a Mormon is a thing no offense to the Mormons hey whatever y'all want to believe y'all can believe but I don't, know if they, I don't know if they listen to podcasts I don't think they do I don't think they're allowed to <laughs> but it's one of those things that's like hey no offense but y'all's whole lives are revolving around a human being that told y'all mm -hmm. in the world like Scientology and and being a Mormon and Mormonism those are two things that were literally made by another human being Y'all have no proof, but just the words that came out of another person that is exactly like you. And you have lost touch of reality so much that you are relying on this person to make your life better. And you are donating so much money to Scientology to make your life better, but you are not realizing that it is making it worse every single day. And that's where I start to get nervous and worry that like we're losing touch of what true religion actually is. But yeah. Hey, hey, you, you are the, my God, Zara. <laughs> you are the perfect podcast host uh co-host oh we are actually running out of time uh i or i don't i don't know if i told you this i've recorded uh i've been this is my new personality is podcasting hold on i'm gonna stop recording uh hold on you know what bye everybody <laughs> <laughs> podcast is very difficult <laughs>